this is Carly, and you are listening to the third episode of Radical Futures Now. Today, our theme is environmental sustainability. Our guiding question today is this. How can we think about and relate to our environment, or in other words, the more-than-human world, to enable diverse, democratic, and sustainable societies? As a content note, there will be references to climate and environmental catastrophes and general discussion of global warming. While the content of this episode stays closer to the surface, the discussion will surely impact some people more than others. If at any point you find yourself feeling overwhelmed, I encourage you to take a break and come back to it or even leave it if you have to. In the introduction episode, I talked about the definitions of diversity and democracy more at length, but I did not get the chance to delve into the definition of sustainability. The meaning of sustainability can shift or hold different nuances depending on the context. For the purpose of this podcast, I am thinking about the term in a complex and systemic way. Thinking about sustainability at a societal level, authors Kavanaugh and Mander of a 2004 article called 10 Principles for Sustainable Societies suggest that sustainable societies have the following three characteristics. One, they should not exploit resources faster than they can regenerate them. Two, their resource consumption should not exceed rates of renewal. And three, pollution and waste should be able to harmlessly be absorbed into the environment. While this definition is specifically relevant to human relationship with the environment, and one that I think is important to think about for that reason, I also find it valuable to think about sustainability in more simplistic terms. A way that I might do that is through the question, what can we do to ensure the possibility of life for as many creatures as possible for as long as possible? As far as I can perceive, the norm of the society that I am a part of does not even begin to take that question into consideration. And while there is a great urgency for massive systemic changes to take place, It is in recognizing the ways in which I can exercise my own agency to think and act in contradiction to the norm that allows me to feel empowered to fight for the world we desperately need. As I find myself reflecting on the ideas shared in this episode, I feel compelled to share a little more about myself and what has brought me to my present understanding. At the outset of my original project, I had hoped to create a zine that explored the relationship of my family to the land where I grew up. This felt significant to me because I grew up on the street shared by my maternal grandparents, my maternal grandfather's sister and her husband, their daughter, and my mother's sister with her husband and children. This was the same street that my mother grew up on, and her father and his father, who was the son of the first in our family to come there after having lived in Toledo, Ohio. This street is in the town that was once covered mostly by water, and before my family settled there, that water had been drained by the longer established and currently most successful farming families to increase acreage for farming. I still have so many questions, as it seems that those people who made this choice were well aware after draining the lake that the land beneath it was not ideal for their farming needs, seeing as how my family landed there eventually. When I learned about this, I found it fascinating because the name of the town has the word lake in it, despite not having a permanent lake of any kind. Since the land is still lower in elevation than surrounding areas, during really heavy rain, there are particular areas that will flood more than others. Presently, there is a disappearing lake 
very nearby the land my family has historically farmed, where during heavy rainfall, there can gather enough water to create a tide. I have a distinct memory of the field across from the house my parents rented until I was in the fourth grade, which is the field that my great aunt and uncle farmed until their death within the past five to ten years. After a couple days of particularly heavy rain, there were people who literally took a boat out on the water that was covering the field. When I looked into the history of the town, I discovered that where my family settled was closest to the last known and recognized settlement of indigenous peoples in the area. I still have a lot to learn about what happened to make my family quit farming, but from what I can tell, I have to guess that their failure is related to the suitability of the land compared to other areas of the town. With the draining of the lake, a lake that was once full of life that sustained the local indigenous people, an effort to starve them out, to force them to leave, or to integrate with the locals? Was my family aware of this, or as people who were trying to find their own way to survive, were they swindled by the largest property owners of the area who wanted to offload their least productive assets? As I visit my grandparents' farm and see the dilapidated barns that will never be repaired, and that no one in my family has the ability to afford to clean up, juxtaposed with those of some other families, I have to guess that the latter is a possibility. But even so, it does not absolve my family from their complicity in the settler project that is the United States. I was incredibly naive to believe that I would be able to contain the magnitude of this inquisition in a short amount of time let alone make it concise enough to fit into a small publication. There are years upon decades upon centuries of untold stories from my family that have all led to this moment. Now that it is over two years later after my initial inquiries were inspired, I still have so much left to uncover. The significance of that work for me is about unpacking whiteness and the reality of my lineage in the context of settler colonial North America. And this unpacking is not something I want to do just for the sake of doing it. I want to do it to make our stories legible to one another within the context of my family, meaning I want us to be able to understand each other. As so many of us suffer from undiagnosed chronic illness and other health conditions that seem to stem from, or are at the very least exacerbated by, environmental toxins, we continue to be failed by our government and medical systems. Yet, contempt prevails towards people who suffer from the same state-sanctioned abuses, or worse, because a culture of white supremacy and capitalism has taught us that we must do everything possible to prove our own legitimacy even if that means hurting those who have less access to resources, even if that means expressing beliefs and acting in ways that ultimately harm ourselves and those who are closest to us. What will it take for each of us to understand that our interests are all connected, and for us to understand that when I say our, I'm also including the more-than-human world, and that in order for us to heal and have a chance to survive, we must understand this. I do not have the answers to these questions, but this is my starting point when I think about the significance of this theme of environmental sustainability. There are consequences to the culture of greed and consumption that proliferates in our capitalist society, and these consequences are felt by my family of origin and those whom I have grown to love throughout my adult life. In saying this, however, I want to be clear that my family is still immensely privileged, and the fact that the living generations of my family are not able to understand the ways that life is connected to water and the earth is evidence of the ways that the privilege our whiteness affords us has allowed us the ability to ignore for so long what becomes abundantly more clear every day. The window of ignorance is closing fast and hard and painfully. But indigenous people have already felt this for generations 
as well as other communities which are disproportionately not wealthy and not white, as they have been pushed to live in the places that no one else wants to live. I want to also point out the reason I'm saying we, as I refer to the background, attitudes, and perspectives of my family of origin. I want to be clear that I do not willingly subscribe to an attitude of white supremacy, but white supremacy culture is more than that. I'm still trying to learn about this every day, but for now, I can say that what has become clear to me throughout my investigations of family history and the history of my hometown is that these histories have created the opportunity for me to have lived most of my life in an environment where racism and ignorance towards experiences different from my own are rewarded. And regardless of what my aspirations are, this is the web that I'm working my way out of. New layers are revealed to me all of the time. So I see this as my responsibility to take ownership of this rather than to disidentify with it, meaning rather than to say, this isn't my stuff to deal with. And I hope that by me doing this, it might be seen as an invitation for those who share my background to know that finding our way out of the web is possible. And this is not only crucial for the sake of anti-racism, also all of our lives truly depend on it. And with that said, I also want to make a note that the thoughts and experiences of my family of origin are not monolithic, nor can I claim to know the full extent of each individual's perspective. I absolutely do not know these things fully. I cannot speak to anything more than simply my perception of how I have been impacted by what surrounded me. In my episode where I will discuss the theme of relationships, I plan to discuss the notion of growing through conversation and connection more in depth, and the systems that reinforce the disconnection that has led to this dynamic. For now, however, I want to share then even in the short time since I have begun thinking about this, I have begun to have conversations with my family and loved ones. In so many of these instances, we share the same knowledge and understanding, or there are things that I learned from these people, my family members. But the difference is that because of all the reasons I have articulated thus far, there seems to be a resistance to talking about what we know and a resistance to politicization of this knowledge and our experiences. So when I share all this, it is not meant to come from a perspective of voyeuristic judgment or over-familiarity, meaning I'm not trying to be on the outside looking in and saying that I'm good and you're bad, or I'm good and they're bad. It is coming from a place of care and deep desire to make sense of my belonging through mending or making sense of eroded relationships with the people and places that made me. One thing that has helped me feel inclined to mend eroded relationships has been through thinking more critically about relationships to disability. As you may or may not have picked up from what I have shared thus far, I am keen to recognize the ways that people around me are impacted by disability and illness. However, for so much of my life, I have felt alienated as I perceived I was the only one who experienced ableism in my family and social circles. This is not true and has absolutely never been true. What has been true, however, is the particular ways that I have been confronted with ableism has inspired me to develop a more politicized identification with disability than most people in my life, meaning I see it as something I want to own and claim and say because I see political value in doing so. And while there is grief in the realization that I might not have had to feel so alone if it was not for the systems of power in place, the ones that enable disabled people to feel shame 
in their experiences. I also find it very rewarding to now recognize these affinities I have with people around me. I feel that these affinities are ones that help ground me in my commitment to all of my political work, which is the work that is what makes me want to live, including a commitment to values that have a chance to enable environmental sustainability. Through the lens of intersectionality, a concept popularized and first fully articulated by Black feminist Kimberly Crenshaw, I have been able to see the ways that various aspects of my identity intersect with each other to create the conditions that offer me more or less access to resources I want or need, depending on the context. Through this framework, I was able to understand the oppression I experienced as connected to the oppressions that other people experience. And even though our oppressions are not the same, it is often the case that the assumptions which make our oppressions possible depend on one another to function. This knowledge is what has drawn me to and inspired my commitment to a disability justice framework. Disability justice, or DJ for short, is a concept that was imagined and first articulated by a group of black, brown, and queer disabled people. The framework consists of 10 main principles, which are intersectionality, leadership of the most impacted, anti-capitalism, cross-movement solidarity, wholeness, sustainability, cross-disability solidarity, interdependence, collective access, and collective liberation. If you want to find a more in-depth definition of each of these concepts, you can find it at SINS Invalid, that's S-I-N-S, I-N-V-A-L-I-D dot org, and a link for this will be shared at the end of the transcript of this episode, which can be found in the episode description. I wanted to share these, however, so I can highlight the ways in which I see DJ as compatible with a commitment to fighting for environmental sustainability. Each principle of disability justice seems to be what is so clearly necessary if we hope to sustain a world that is hospitable to life of any kind. Those who are the most impacted by the harms of our prevailing systems must be at the forefront of our imaginings. And as will be discussed in my next episode, to quote my comrade Irene Inani, this includes the water, the soil, and the bees, as well as oppressed humans and other living and non-living creatures. And as will be discussed later in this episode and in my episode on governance, this is why we must overhaul capitalism as it is a machine of death rather than life. In order for us to achieve collective liberation, we must live in a sustainable society, and in order for that to be achieved, the work of our movements must be done sustainably, because the work of our movements is what will constitute the worlds ahead. So this is all to say that by looking at the framework of disability justice, the worlds we want and so desperately need are made more possible. The Kambahi River Collective, a collective of radical Black feminists, suggests that the liberation of Black women would necessitate the liberation of all people since it would require the destruction of all systems of oppression, which means that none of us can truly be free until Black women are free. And this is made especially true when we consider the ways that Black communities disproportionately face the impacts of environmental destruction 
caused by corporate and government greed and neglect. And when we consider the ways that this so deeply implicates sexism and ableism, as well as other forms of oppression, it only makes it more clear the ways in which all of our struggles are connected. It is this understanding, among many others, that keeps me grounded in my commitment to my values, values which have inspired me to embark on this very project. The remaining part of this episode will include a conversation between myself and a local activist and dear friend, Brian Geringer. Be warned that the audio quality will vary throughout the conversation as we were sitting outside for the entirety of the recording, both wearing masks and sitting in the sun, distanced from one another. You will be able to clearly hear that we live near an airport, and while the sounds can at times be somewhat obnoxious, I think that it sets an interesting tone for context to ground us in place as we are sitting in a yard in the city we both live in, Ypsilanti, only about a block away from where our friendship began at a city council meeting advocating against a development that was proposed back in 2017. While this is mentioned briefly during our conversation, we do not go much into detail, but upon being reminded of this, I am again grounded in the reasons why I wanted to talk with Brian in the first place. If it was not for this development and the stake that it posed to an area of local wildlife, I would likely not have had the opportunity to get to know Brian or his passions for some of the things that we discuss. And as always, there's so much more to discuss than we were able to get into, but what we did discuss helped ground me again in all of the reasons I first became passionate about interrogating my relationship with nature and place. So with all of that said, here is the conversation. I'm outside on a really abnormally warm day uh, in March with Brian Geringer. And today, uh, I'm hoping that we can talk about environmental sustainability. I met Brian through local organizing, and I think Brian is one of the most gentle, <laughs> inconsistent reminders of like, I don't know, just like how to be conscious about how to have a relationship with our environment, our natural environment. <laughs> and so I, um, and I like, and I like talking to you, Brian. So, um, and yeah, and I, I also feel like this is like the topic that I struggle with most just because it feels so big and intimidating to me. Like, I mean, the topic I struggle with most that is, like, relevant to, like, my coursework. Would you like to introduce yourself with anything that you want to share with an audience who might listen to this? <laughs> yeah, no, not not too much. I mean, I am a uh, local plant lover. I might have a little bit of a problem, but <laughs> I am really actually super new to, to all this. I am currently in, like my first year of a grad school program uh, for environment and sustainability, um, but I really just started falling in love with plants and the world, like the natural world, like six or seven years ago, but and then started collecting plants like <laughs> two years ago and started gardening not that long ago, so I do not speak from a place of authority, but just, some, <laughs> just love. Thank you for sharing that, and I can confirm that you are a local plant lover, because we're both on some plant-loving page. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, and you're probably judging me, like, wow, how come he comments on every... <laughs> no, no, no. I, uh, I just like seeing everybody's plants, to be honest. It's a very active and wholesome page. <laughs> Definitely. I'm curious, uh, what is environmental sustainability mean to you? 
Yeah, I, I think it's really a tricky question because I think that up until pretty recently, I thought of it, and maybe a lot of people thought of it as like um, getting to a place as a species that, you know, basically that our, our relationship with the natural world is a way that could be like kept in equilibrium mm -hmm. on and on and on until forever. And recently people have been talking more about how like maybe that's actually a pipe dream in that even without humans, the natural world has gone through massive changes over mm -hmm. and over again. Mm -hmm. um, so I think maybe my answer would still be something like, you know, be a be just another species on the planet. <laughs> but yeah. in a dynamic way that is responsive to Yeah, it's it's interesting because now that you say that, it reminds me that that was actually used, if I'm remembering correctly, by one of my high school teachers to like dismiss humans contribution to climate change and th I think this was maybe around like 2008 like this particular class you saying that reminded me of it and I just think it's interesting that you bring it up but then also highlight that like you know environmental sustainability mean that you're like in a dynamic relationship yeah because yeah. I feel like that like has been used in such like ignorant ways I guess <laughs> it's like really shocking to me that like a teacher could have like taken the attitude and like shared that with like a group of young people it's pretty disappointing yeah i mean especially considering within our lifespans all that could possibly happen like i anyway that's yeah no i mean it's <laughs> it's weird though because it is like i think it's similar to questions i think about you know maybe political sustainability where it's almost like somehow we have to figure out we have to keep a goal in mind and think about what that's mm -hmm. going to look like while also acknowledging that the steps to get there might not all look like the goal itself. Yeah. Like right now there's a bunch of extra CO2 in the atmosphere. Mm, we can't yeah. like, you know, just make it go away. So we have to get to a good place yeah. and then hopefully by then we'll have a way to, to keep it. As somebody who has like high CO2 in my like bloodstream or whatever I'm like I feel like I'm always really sensitive to those like the days that are like the air quality is like, yeah. really bad and maybe part of the reason why I'm so overwhelmed to even think about this topic is because I'm just like I don't know what to do <laughs> but it feels like so urgent to like be thinking about our relationship as like a species with the environment so the next question I have, I'm curious if you have thoughts about is, and you might have already kind of touched on it, but what are some of the things that you feel have most informed your perspective about how humans should relate with our planet? <laughs> Definitely, like I said, like just being, existing in the natural world has been a big influence. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, even though it's, so artificial in a way like interacting and, and you know living mm -hmm. in communion with plants is a big thing but I don't know there's so many aspects to it that I feel like a lot of mm -hmm. like different aspects will have different aha moments or whatever I saw a picture of you in your tree in your backyard the other day and I feel like it embodied your spirit. It was in your backyard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I was like, dang, like, it just gave me a whole new perspective on that tree. Trees are, like, freaking massive. Yeah. <laughs> I live on a hill of some sort, and that's where we're recording this currently. And, yeah, this, this place has given me a different relationship with thinking about trees because... I'm more level with like the mid area of a lot of trees mm -hmm. and can also see over, if you look that way, you can see that it dips down to go to the river, but then you can see the water tower. So you can see the tops of lots of trees and it, in different parts of the day, it gives you different perspectives and angles. I just think a lot about trees, yeah. <laughs> how much they've been through 
and how resilient they are, and yet you just cut them down. Cut them down so easily. <sighs> yeah. I have one more thing to say. I think I should maybe mention at some point that I am super privileged. I know a lot of people come to environmental awareness because it's mm-hmm. forced upon them, whether it's you know lack of resources or changing what climate mm-hmm. or whatever. One one thing I think that was big for me was the Dakota Access Pipeline protests because I think I was just starting to think more about protests and direct action and how that worked and then just to like connect the dots with like how huge of a thing one pipeline is and protesters on the reservation like who have just you know connect water to life and connect all these dots so mm-hmm. fluently is is big i'm glad you brought that up there's been so many of those more broadcasted in the time that i've become more activated around politics but like i haven't really gotten too involved in like those sorts of actions well i mean you were involved like, in International uh, Village. Which yeah, is you're an right. That is environmental. <laughs> yeah. What, what was significant about well, that? I mean, I, other I than that just that it's more. a big, like, natural kind of wild space, um, Ipsy is one of the only cities in the state, I think, with a uninterrupted uh, parkway, like, going all oh. the way through it. So that would stop that. I wanted to say, for context for the audience, International Village. Not going to get into this right now, fully. <laughs> but it is interesting to think about us uh, meeting through this, which w- it was a local, um, there was a development that was proposed for a big plot of land that is, well, for one, what there's a native burial grounds and also has a lot of like wildlife. The proposal that was being offered it, it just kind of put all of that at stake, I guess, to summarize it. I'm glad that you brought that up. I say this all the time, like, oh, everything's connected. But, like, sometimes it really, like, you have to be reminded yeah, yeah, <laughs> of yeah. how connected everything is. Because the thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about the Dakota Ac- Access Pipeline, I was thinking about the connection to disability justice. Because a lot of times people see everything as so separate, but it's like, the people who are impacted by that, the stakes of the pipeline being put in and what threat that poses to the community by, you know, threatening the quality of the water. It, it's like these people's lives, it's connected to disability, you know, because, you know, it causes illness and makes it harder for people to live. I mean, I don't want to say, like, that's inherent in disability, but when it comes to, like, these deliberate actions like by the government i think it is important to frame it that way because it is it's harm like well, that can be prevented yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't have to happen right. and you know just being disabled in our this our society there's not resources for people but then especially for indigenous people just think about how everything is connected yeah and you know i mean we're getting into like environmental justice that pipeline the the site at which it was going through, well, the protest site, uh-huh. they were actually planning to build it in a different spot. They were planning to build it, like, through a white town or city or oh, whatever. Oh, right. And so yeah. you, it's, like, also an issue of how, you know, who has political power to uh-huh. get get these things out. And then, you know, and then on the flip side, it's, like, once there is environmental harm in the community that's also harm to humans then property values go down and then poorer and minority communities have to live in those places because there's nowhere else to yeah, go <laughs> yeah and capitalism dictates it as just like that's just the uh, uh, it's just the free market what relationship do you think exists between environmental sustainability and having a diverse and democratic society so i think i guess like my first pass is that I think the common ground I'm seeing here is like hierarchy. Hierarchy tends to breed like social division. So it's Mm -hmm. like rich versus poor, but then it's also like, you know, white versus black and versus other. 
you know, marginalized uh, mm-hmm. races, and then it's also what country are you from, and gender um, hierarchies, I think are all sort of like, once you have one, it's easier to have the other. So like, mm-hmm. right now we have an extremely unequal society on all those fronts. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, the hierarchical model is also a really good one for um, like extremely harmful extraction of resources and yeah. just like destruction, mm-hmm. basically just destruction. And yeah, like unfortunately it's like white culture is all about death and destruction kind of like a natural conclusion <laughs> to that but like so obviously yeah. then the flip side is like more egalitarian setups for society would hopefully breed diversity of if everyone has power then like you know power mm-hmm. has diversity much more than it does now and mm-hmm. also hopefully that would be a less destructive extractive setup too I think we have to be careful about it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're gonna just solve climate change if we get rid of hierarchy but also i think (laughs) i think we will though in a way i mean thinking about like where Mm -hmm. we are right now with climate change just for an example it's like exxon mobil found out that um or exxon i should say found out that uh climate change or global warming was happening and that it was anthropogenic so it was caused by humans Mm -hmm. in like the 70s or earlier Mm. like really early and so like if that had been not a powerful hierarchical if they hadn't been powerful in that hierarchical sense um if they were just like a Mm -hmm. squad of cool humans being (laughs) like hey what's going on with the oceans oh shit you know, then then we would probably have started fighting global warming way earlier. By the way, I do like, I'm, I'm switching between global warming and climate change because it's true that climate change is more complicated than just warming. Yeah. But also I, I've heard and I believe that the, the term climate change actually comes from like oil and gas companies wanting oh. to make it sound less bad. Interesting. Because global warming is also definitely accurate. Yeah, I know. I saw um, <laughs> on Instagram. I'm always just hitting us with the pop culture references. <laughs> but um, this comedian I really like was like doing an impression of like a waspy mom in Texas, like when it was snowing, representing someone who was not the most. Did not have the most at stake, or was not the most harmed okay. by that horrific Definitely. climate climate event. Yeah. Um, but it was just like, I mean, it's snowing outside. Like they say, global warming, you know. Oh <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I haven't. I've only driven through the top of Texas, stopped at a hotel, and had a Texas-shaped waffle. So I don't really have like a lot of experience. <laughs> I don't know. I think sounds like you know Texas <laughs> through and through. <laughs> but I imagine there's people who are like saying that, you know. Who, who are the ones who are most impacted by how devastating those climate events are. I, I guess I just say that because it's just, to me, I know the comedian, you know, it's, just, it's a joke, you know, it's humor, but it's also just speaking to, like, the ways that we have been manipulated by, you know, power to just not take it as seriously or to think, like, there's an entitlement to just continuing on with whatever our whims are and i say our because i mean i you know i'm white i come from this you know mentality well why would we think critically about this even even the people who are themselves i mean because a lot of my family have a lot of chronic illness um and they you know live in a farming town or are from there and i i have to believe that it's very environmental (laughs) but like because of just the way that oh, yeah. powers have manipulated and like and you know holding on to whiteness and thinking like just dismissing these very serious issues because there's that entitlement to like well I just want to keep on living yeah. my life and I want to yeah. keep buying things. I have so many <laughs> thoughts. One, yeah, no, I mean the fact that you know it's it's such good publicity for anti-factualism. Yeah. That like this is up for debate. 
whether yeah. or not this let's let's talk about whether or not climate <laughs> change is caused by humans it's like there's no debate also yeah it reminds me i think after al gore's documentary whatever it was called i think some um republican congressperson brought in a snowball to the chambers <laughs> of congress and was like this proves it oh <laughs> look my there's snow and then i've also seen a meme that's like um it's like a picture of the titanic sinking but then, mm-hmm. the, have you seen this where, like, the people, there's, like, some people that get oh, raised up yeah, and they're, yeah. like, sinking, like, we're higher than we were before. <laughs> um, it also reminded me of, uh, oh, God, yeah, this is kind of dark, but, like, this whole thing about having to question whether something's actually happening or not. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of abusive tactics in a way. It's kind of gaslighting in a way. And, like, yeah. this whole thing of, like, well, it's snowing now, it's kind of, like, well, he's being nice now. I mean, like, it's definitely systemic. And it's like that term I know has been used a lot. But in this situation, it's like thinking about somebody, um, not not just somebody, but like the entity in power is using that power to really make you question your sanity. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that definitely fits. And that's exactly yeah. what is happening. Yeah. And to be clear, like, Democrats aren't doing enough either. Oh, yeah. So it's like that, you know, it's supposed to be the party of science or whatever the science is saying that like green new deal is a minimum is a minimum to prevent millions of deaths maybe billions of deaths Uh of just humans not counting like it's not taking anything else into account there's one more thing i want to say though too because you're talking about your family like i think it's my partner amber has been a big influence on this thought of mine of you know really it started with amber Uh that it's also like we have to be really careful i think about whose job it is to like fix climate change another like uh trick of the people who are causing all this destruction Mm -hmm. a big trick is to be like oh what's your foot like your ecological footprint (laughs) like you the individual the poor person in ohio like what is your what can you do differently could you stop and like you know, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I don't. I think it's good to for people to transition away from eating meat, for example, it's, or especially beef. Like that's probably yeah. a good, with probably some serious exceptions to that, also because yeah. you know indigenous people ate meat for millennia and yeah. the world was fine. But it's also like you know, I I think it's really good and helpful to think, you know, like punch up kind of thing. It's like yeah. we have had beef subsidies in this country for decades. Like how about you just remove those? And all of a sudden, like, mm-hmm. beef is that much more expensive because that's the actual, you know, people who believe in capitalism, it's like, that's the actual price of it, and yet... Yeah. I don't know much about that, but... <laughs> yeah, I... and corn subsidies, which I think a lot of corn is fed to beef. Oh, yeah, like, is used in, in the factory farming system. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like, watched a documentary once, and I turned quote, turned vegetarian, um, tried vegan, but then I just didn't eat anything because I didn't know what to make. I learned a lot, but I feel like I need to really be doing some more re-education. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, this just makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah And I was just yeah. like, okay, well, like, what can I do? Okay, it's real easy. Stop eating meat. I think I need to do some more continuous education to remind myself and really ground myself and, like, why. Right now, I'm currently doing a, what did I call it? I don't eat meat unless it's going to go in the trash. Freegan? Yeah, freegan. There you go. Yeah. Some, or somebody makes it, and then it's like, if there would be leftovers that no one would eat, like, I will eat it. And it's been great, but, like, I don't, I've not been buying meat. And I, and I think it's interesting because ever since I stopped eating meat, it's just, like, I definitely don't want to be, like, overstating my power or whatever, but it's just, like, over the years it's like you know my family has started to reduce it from their diet you know and then at holidays people making different things and just realizing oh we don't actually yeah yeah i mean part of it part of it might just be that you're like you know because i'm like you know i think we should not put it on individuals to do these things but at the same time i'm trying to reduce my meat intake so it's like a weird balancing act one thing might even just be like you're preparing yourself for the future in which you can't eat that much meat like 
Yeah. I doubt in 20 years it's going to be a reality for many people that they're be eating meat, like, for every meal, you know, like, which is yeah. so normal now. I haven't thought much about that, but... Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the basic thing that I... You know, it's like for cows, I think it's basically, like, it takes 10 times the food to make... A, oh. a cow meal than it does to just if you just ate the plants itself so like yeah. more land in the u.s is used to grow food to feed to livestock than it is to grow oh. food to feed to humans similar sorry i'm just I, i've been on this one recently where people say like you know soy production is actually really harmful oh. it's one of the reasons they destroyed the amazon uh-huh. and that is absolutely terrible so they're like you know so be careful about tofu too it's like well where is the primary place that soy is going? It's going to feed cows. And then, of course, sorry, I'm just ranting Don't, now, don't apologize. But, like, <laughs> like, you know, we have to be careful with vegetarianism and veganism, too, because then there's, like, palm oil mm, and even, mm-hmm. like, coffee and chocolate, even though we don't want to talk about it because we love coffee <laughs> and chocolate. And we love palm oil. It's in everything. But, like, you know, palm oil is, like, destroying the uh what is it i think it's the mangrove forests in like southeast asia wow and those are so critical those are like one of those things that are just like Uh you do so much damage for every one like acre of forest you remove it's like a hundredfold in bad outcomes (laughs) for the people for the (laughs) you know you know it stops the storms from yeah, destroying the islands and I need to do some more learning about <laughs> about that because I mean I've heard it but it's another thing is like you know at where to access the information but then also because yeah I guess like I'm just thinking about how like I see stuff on social media but it's just like it's everything is urgent right now yeah. and it's so overwhelming and incapacitating yeah. so I end up just picking a thing then I'm like, I know that this, <laughs> you know, is going to have some kind of positive contribution. And I stick to that. I mean, I, and I guess, like, because I, one of my questions, and you kind of already talked about it, but it, it was just like, yeah, I, I had, like, what do you think the role of the individual is in efforts yeah. Yeah. towards an environmental sustainability? And how significant do you feel this role is? And you basically already answered it, but it's just like, I just think about it a lot. So, I I think it depends on who we're talking about. Like, people who are not privileged, who are Mm -hmm. marginalized, who are oppressed by our Mm -hmm. systems and people, I think the best thing those communities can do is prepare. In terms of, like, more privileged people and also less privileged people that also are fucking heroes and want to also contribute their Mm -hmm. effort and time, I'm convinced that the absolute best thing anyone can do mm-hmm. with themselves is political action. Well, I think maybe something that's frustrating to me so much about like rich white people is that especially like, you know, boomers, like they just don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And like some the better ones are like we're going to buy solar panels. And it's like cool. Why don't you like elect someone who's gonna get the green new deal into office at least and at most go to like the dakota access pipeline protests and stand in front of the bulldozers and the cops with your old white asses like (laughs) yeah i mean because that that it's clear that like power responds differently to them in a way that is much more kind yeah Uh, yeah and just like and just like the the power, like, systemic power is so much stronger than individual power. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you can stop eating meat forever, and that's awesome. Or just, like, one Congress could, like, eliminate the beef subsidy, and Mm. it would do, you know, millions of times more good. What do you see as the largest cultural barriers to broad shifts towards environmental sustainability? And I feel like we already, like, talked Mm. about this. But I guess, yeah, I don't, I was thinking about the reason I was asking it, and I think it, it just is coming from my feeling of just, like, being powerless and not knowing, like, what to, what to do. Or, like, what is, what is the point in, you know, sharing information about this or educating people about 
the urgency around trying to gain like a consciousness around environmental sustainability if the people around me aren't people who have the most power because <laughs> yeah. it seems like that's who I'm surrounded by I'm surrounded mostly by people I mean aside from okay I'm, we are next to Ann Arbor so it's like that's this thing but I you know I'm not like from I'm not from Ann Arbor and like most of the people in my life who I'm close with are victims of environmental destruction you know more so than the people who yeah. are perpetrators yeah. of it I suppose yeah. yeah I mean I think I guess like I think it'd be good if people just talked about uh-huh. um talked about the problem more and talked about like how we are going to um well actually change my answer capitalism capitalism <laughs> is the is the cultural <laughs> thing that's getting in the way so i think it's like i think it's i i, I think it'd be good if people talked more about how they're how they imagine the world looking at yeah. post-capitalism i definitely think of autumn brown and adrian marie brown's podcast oh how yeah survive the end of the world i haven't actually listened to it in a while but they they have an episode early on that's like you know uh-huh. they're like laughing and joking about like what are you gonna miss about capitalism and it's like <laughs> that's great that's that's such a good conversation to be having thinking about the the issue itself and like the urgency i think that there's like a need for us to really get clear about the fact that like we are already uh-huh. like the system takes decades to respond to what we've done we are we're already seeing extreme weather events mm-hmm. at a huge increase and we're already seeing um climate refugees from uh droughts and from uh, what was it the marshall islands are like underwater that's already happening I don't, I so like, my companion jared is currently um helping his friend who their whole city was like underwater um he's helping him oh. fix his house right Oh, Midland, yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking about, I, I just wanted to say, because that, you know, well, it just a neglect of infrastructure, a neglect of, it's all connected to me, I guess. I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, it is right here. You know, it's, it's everywhere, I think. Yeah. But just thinking about the urgency and, like, think, you know, things are happening right now. It's just, like, I feel like there's so many of those things that are, it's not small, you know, it's not a small thing, but it's just, like, Sometimes there's things that, like, throughout my life have happened like that that are in the news, and it's like, oh, wow, that's really horrible that that happened to those people, and it's just like they're more spread apart or something, so you can compartmentalize and not see it as a connected. But, you know, so there was that, um, the flooding, and then there was, like, something called a Derrico. <laughs> I don't know if you heard, I think that's what it's called, but it was essentially, like, the straight-line winds. Um, I, like, follow someone on Twitter who is in like Illinois, it almost got to us. Um and it like destroyed their whole town. It Whoa. just like it like leveled shit. <laughs> um I don't fully understand but basically it's all these things are because of the the, the yeah. climate change. I mean I say like climate catastrophes, like yeah. I don't I don't know, just like these are these climate catastrophes are definitely connected to like the human relationship with yeah. Yeah. earth and so i don't want to be like oh that you know this horrible thing happened to you now time to get to work <laughs> like but it's just like uh, i yeah. feel like at some point people are going to just have the activation once enough things happen to where it's like oh like we can't just go to sleep and then forget about it tomorrow or like i don't yeah no i mean i, I yeah know. i think i think that's why capitalism is such a important thing to keep our finger on because it's like capitalism is the reason that we have been so extractive and so um bernie Uh bernie of fossil fuels (laughs) and at the Uh same time it's also the reason that midland didn't upgrade their infrastructure what if anything grounds you in intention as you work to enable more ecologically sustainable practices um, I don't really know if that is like the best way to ask that, but I guess just like working towards all the things that we were, that we've been talking about, like what grounds you in, in your intention? Honestly, I mean, I would say for me, I'm almost hesitant to say this because I hope that this, I don't know. 
I don't know how I feel. I don't know how people. I don't know how people live their life without some measure of like spirituality. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I, it's not something. I don't have many like rites or rituals that I undergo or anything mm-hmm. like that. But um, I do have a very deeply held and felt um, belief in like the value of life which is why playing with plants and being friends with plants is so interesting <laughs> and one of the reasons it's so interesting I mean just even thinking about yeah. like oh I just like took a clipping of this plant and now <laughs> it's another plant and like how does that work but it's clearly alive like yeah. we're all clearly alive we're friends um, sometimes maybe I'm their enemy at some point but um, <laughs> you know it's it's this and it's fascism like climate change and fascism mm-hmm. are the two things and they're obviously related we know eco-fascism mm-hmm. is a real thing um, but like there's nothing that threatens mm-hmm. life more and you know I mean I, there's also this whole thing of like there have been events in Earth history that have killed, like, 90% of all species. And so, you know, maybe it's cool if that happens. I mean, that's what some people say. It's like, oh, you know, get rid of humans or whatever, and then, like, let life do its thing. I'm just, like, it's hard. I don't want to be anthropocentric, but I'm also, like, humans are cool in some ways. (laughs) Like, I don't want humans to go extinct. Like, wouldn't it be cool if... We could not go extinct and also other species could also not go extinct like at more than a normal rate but either way <laughs> even if you think humans should go extinct which i don't know, you know i don't necessarily i mean i don't think that that's a necessity i, I i'm just i'm giggling because i'm just like what wouldn't that be cool like people didn't have to die unnecessarily yeah yeah wouldn't that be awesome well and like yeah it's so horrifying that that's just been naturalized for so many groups of people and uh it's not until it feels like it's threatened and i feel like it's gonna be until it threatens like the most elite but then they're trying to go to mars or whatever i guess until it threatens them when it's like oh hey like maybe we don't want to die but it's like when they thought it was just like gonna be you know indigenous people or people that they have deemed as inferior based on yeah uh, whatever yeah yeah yeah. justifications um yeah then it's just like well you know that's okay that's just a reasonable cost for us our our quote survival meaning the survival of the elite but then now yeah i don't know it's like i i really was hoping that it would be enough to be like you know, to be like, oh, hey, we need to, like, change stuff. But, yeah, and then they're trying to go to Mars. I don't know what the timeline for that is. If anyone has any info, let me know. But uh, I don't think I'm going to be seeing Mars. I can't even handle a regular airplane, regular really. Regular Earth? Oh, yeah. Uh, or, 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 I mean, no, I like I like Earth, uh, I think. I mean, I don't have a lot to compare it to. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's wacky. Wacky. Elon Musk needs to uh, have all his money taken away immediately. Oh my no, I don't know. I'm just thinking about like that. Going to Mars is not working through the problem. It is working around the problem. Also, it's like I don't know what people think about Mars. It's like we are destroying Earth, but like, can you imagine? Like, it's gonna be a minute before we get to Mars level in hus- oh. like Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't really know what their end game is. They're some major form of escapism, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, but I do like, like, your, you know, your original answer to that question, what grounds you. I, I forget exactly how you said it, but just a regard for life, or, like, a val- value I think I like life. regard better than value, actually, because value, <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, value is such a capitalistic <laughs> intonation or whatever but. yeah I, I guess so i never really thought of that i mean because it's like i have values but like yeah yeah but i hear you yeah it's hard capitalism has painted so many yeah, yeah. things that should just be okay yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 
conversation. Before sharing my closing thoughts, I want to take a moment to create space for a collective deep breath. While editing and transcribing this conversation, I have had many thoughts and reflections, some of which I will share here. The first reflection I had was related to the reference to beef and corn subsidies. I do not have a lot to say on this at the time, only because upon a brief attempt to research, it is clear that there is enough content to wade through that would inspire thoughts and reflections to fill an entire other episode. But the questions that I have, I want to share. What has the relationship been between working class people and subsidies for corn and beef? Has this impacted the attitudes of my family and the people from where I grew up towards government and political parties in the United States? If so, to what extent? As I said, I do not have the answers but believe that I will be investigating this further for myself in hopes that it will further illuminate nuances of the observations I have made thus far. My second reflection is this. At a few points, Brian referenced the Dakota Access Pipeline and the protests that have surrounded it over the past several years. For those who are unfamiliar, here is an excerpt from a write-up about the pipeline from Earth Justice. They say, the Dakota Access Pipeline Project, also known as Bakken Oil Pipeline, would extend 1,168 miles across North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Illinois, crossing through communities, farms, tribal land, sensitive natural areas, and wildlife habitat. The pipeline would carry crude oil from the Bakken oil fields in North Dakota to Illinois, where it will link with another pipeline that will transport the oil to terminals and refineries along the Gulf of Mexico. That's the end of the quote. During the conversation, I felt disappointed in myself that it had been so long since having kept updated on the current events surrounding the pipeline. Since then, I have learned that after years and years of protest from the Standing Rock Sioux tribe, the pipeline is functioning and the Biden administration refuses to shut it down during the current environmental review being conducted. As always, the protests of this pipeline has been about the risk it poses to the environment, meaning the risk it poses to life. Added to the description I just stated of where it is, it is also important to highlight that it runs through the Mississippi River. If the pipeline breaks, as pipelines do, the results will be devastating as the crude oil contaminates a huge water source in the land mostly inhabited by indigenous people. In the conversation earlier, 
I discuss the idea of forgetting in relation to climate or environmental catastrophes. In reflecting on these things, it has made me think about the fact that for those who are most immediately and directly impacted by these threats to the environment, there is no forgetting. But also our starting points of how we think about our relationship with the environment impacts how we know and understand these threats. My perspective of what I shared is one I don't expect to be shared by people from different backgrounds from myself. As Brian pointed out in our conversation, indigenous people of this continent have a history of connecting life to land and to water. And this connection is true whether or not we recognize it. If we have a regard for and commitment to life, it is our responsibility to make this connection clear. Yet, even through this conversation, I notice the words I know and am familiar with in the English language make it difficult to not speak as if we as humans are separate from the environment. I notice now the ways in which I have often failed to fully interrogate the origins of the language I use to express ideas that I find important and how this impacts the ways that messages are or are not received by those I am attempting to share them with. I doubt that I will be able to make major shifts before the conclusion of this project, but I do think that it is important to recognize. Capitalism is embedded in the web. I'm trying to find my way out of, but I'm still trying to find my way out. For now, these are all the thoughts that I have to share with you. I appreciate your time and attention if you have listened this far, and I hope that you will check out the rest of my episodes once they are published, as they will very much connect to this theme as well as the theme of education. Until then, this is Carly, signing off and sending love to each and every one of you. Thank you.